0: Today we are finishing up a little short series. We've talked about worship and being satisfied, finding our satisfaction in God. And if I I asked you this morning why God saved you, why God sent Jesus Christ to die and make a way for sinners to be redeemed, forgiven, ransomed, rescued, what would your answer be? And if I said, why, write down on a piece of paper, why did God save you? What would your answer be? And think about that answer. Would it be for you to go to heaven? Would it be for your sins to be forgiven? Is your answer more about you or more about the God who saved you? Is your answer, would your answer be more focused on you or the God, of, or the God who is doing the saving? W- w- would your answer be centered on God's glory or your glory? I want us to see the big picture today on why we were saved, but also why that affects and how that affects how and, and why we worship. That, that, again, from the context that everything we do is to be about the glory of, of God and and why why could and why would God command this of us and I I want us to see the the answer today of why why would God command that all things all things be done to his glory and the answer is because we are his we're his we're the people of God And I want us to help us to see not only the why behind our salvation, but the why behind our individual worship, but also the why behind our our corporate worship. And all of it flows back to, again, why were we saved? Why would God redeem us? So look there on your handout. We'll jump in 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 the first point there. Get going here. The primary objective behind our salvation is that we are to be worshipers of God. By displaying His glory before a watching world through everything we do. L- listen to Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. We, we looked at Colossians a couple of series ago before 1 Peter. He says in verse 13, For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Listen, here it is. All things have been created through him and for him. You see that? All things were created through him, but also for him. You see, who who is supreme in these passages? The Father and the Son. We we have been saved to bring glory to God. Go down to verse 20. For through Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, you have been reconciled to God. Having made peace through the blood of the cross through Him, I say, whether things on earth or in heaven. Our freedom, our rescue, is a rescue to God. It's not, a, it's not a being set free to self. It's not a freedom to roam to live for self. You have been ransomed to God. And think about this. Think about what this means. you see it on your handout. The supreme objective in our salvation is an eternal display of God's glory. An eternal display of God's glory. Why were you created for His glory? Go back to Genesis 1, that we would be representatives, that we would be image bearers. And and think about this. Even in Romans 3.23, my fear is we miss this. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the what? You see what sin is? You see ultimately what sin is? Sin is falling short of the glory of God. You're you're missing the mark of, of the intent of your creation. your Sin is you missing the mark for the purpose that you were ultimately created to do, and that is to bring glory to God. It, it could have said a lot of things there. For all have sinned and fall short of purpose in your life. For all have sinned and fall short of ultimate happiness in your life. It doesn't say that. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory... Of God, sin is falling short of the glory of God. And listen, please see what salvation is then. Salvation is the restoration of your glorying in God. It's the restoration of you being able to bring glory to God. Please see that in your salvation. It is restoring, it is reclaiming God's glory in us and through us. Namely, through sinners. You think about how crazy that is. But in salvation, God is rescuing you. He's reclaiming you again and and back to the purpose for which you were created. To bring glory to God. And my fear is that this is where a lot of a lot of us get sideways in our thinking, and, and thus sideways in how we live. We make the mistake that our salvation is primarily about us and our sin, and thus our freedom becomes primarily about us. We, we, we've we've read it before, but Isaiah forty two eight says, "I am the Lord your God; that is my name. I will not give my glory to another." nor my praise to graven images. What what is God's issue with sin? He's not sharing His glory. What is God's issue with us? He's not sharing His glory. And, And the difference is, if we're not careful, the difference is we see our salvation primarily about us. God sees salvation primarily about a display of His glory. Even, even, and you see, even as I'm thinking about this, this, isn't in my notes, but even as I think about this in, the, the, in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, we put the emphasis on the son who ran away and squandered the blessing. Do you understand the emphasis of that story is on a father who would forgive that son? On a father who would let him squander everything and then humiliate himself by running to meet that son? Who would throw a party for that son? The hero in that story is the father. It's not the son. Oh, I'm glad that boy came back and came to his wits. No, no. I'm glad the father would receive him back. And celebrate him. Our salvation is about God reclaiming his glory, if you will, in us and through us. And thus we are, listen, that changes salvation. We are to reflect his glory. It, we are for him, we are created through him and for him. And and we have a great tendency, and this affects our worship. We have a great tendency to put ourselves at center. Therefore, worship becomes optional. Therefore, worship just takes a secondary. Well, you know, God's really lucky to have me, I mean, if I'm honest. No. It affects our worship. Is it all about God and His glory? Is He central? And and this, this affects our worship. It, but it affects our everyday lives. You see it on the handout. God saves people so that they would worship and declare the greatness of God throughout the world, not so they could live for themselves in their own glory. That's not why God saved you, so you could go off and live for your own glory. Everything, we saw it many weeks ago, that the central part of our worship is our redemption. We looked at that in Exodus 8. We looked at that in Exodus 9, where God tells Moses, go and... Go tell Pharaoh to set my people free, to let my people go. Why? He says in Exodus 8-1, he says in Exodus 9-1, so that they may serve me. Their freedom wasn't ultimately for them. They were God's people. He was restoring their freedom, their ability to serve him. That word means glorify him. Again, the primary reason for our salvation is not so that you and I escape hell. Again, that's a great benefit. The primary reason is that you and I can glorify the one who we were created to glorify in the first place. And we can't do that as unforgiven sinners. Habakkuk says the Lord's eyes are too pure to even look on evil. God is holy, He's righteous cannot allow unrighteousness in His presence. Again, it's about God. And again, if if it's simply about us escaping hell, then once we've escaped hell, what's left? We just live for the rest of our lives for ourselves. No, the primary uh, the primary purpose is that we could glorify God. Therefore, now that changes your mentality. Okay, now I can glorify God as a believer. Let me seek to spend the rest of my life glorifying the one who has saved me. You see the difference? If it's simply about escaping hell, now that I've escaped hell, so what? What's left? But if it's about glorifying God, well, now my sins have been forgiven. I've been redeemed. I've been declared righteous. I've been restored. I've been reconciled. I've been rescued. Okay, now now I have the freedom to spend the rest of my life glorifying the one who saved me, glorifying the one whom I was created to glorify and represent in the first place. Total change. But you see how that changes your worship? Now all of a sudden, Romans 12, 1 makes total sense. Therefore, by the mercies of God, I urge you, brothers, to offer your bodies as a living spiritual sacrifice, for this is your reasonable service of worship. Those make total sense. But so many of us have there in, in an eagerness for, for people to get answers and get. Get people saved, which is a great desire, but we, we've taught people that it just ends with a decision. Oh, I've escaped hell, now I'm good to go. That salvation becomes a one-time event rather than a walk of life, rather than the rest of your life, rather than a relationship, an adoption. We, we got the chance Friday to go and see Lee and Kelly get off a plane and 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 introduced us, you know, we got to meet Sawyer. Sawyer's adoption was a total life transformation. Rest of his life transformation. It wasn't a one-time event. It's a relationship. He has been given a relationship with a mother and a father. He's been given a relationship with siblings. It's not a one-time event. He will spend the rest of his life living as a steward. And we miss that when salvation becomes this uh, pray, a simple prayer we pray or, or these other things if it's about, or if it really becomes about us. Listen to First Thessalonians 4 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, you abstain from sexual morality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress or defraud his brother in the manner, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, just as we told you before, and Solomon warned you. Listen. Verse 7 For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but for the purpose of sanctification. You say, Chris, what is sanctification? Sanctification is less and less of Chris, more and more of God. That I look less and less like the old Chris, more and more like the God who saved me. Listen, Sawyer Stewart over time, will look less and less like Sawyer, like the old Sawyer. He will look more and more like the Stewarts. the longer he lives in that household, the longer he's under their watch, the longer he hangs out with those kids. You see the picture? We've been reconciled to God. Sanctification is as I hang out with the Father and as I submit my life to the glory of the Father, I begin to look less and less like the old Chris Basham and more and more like the new God, who rescued me and redeemed me, I look more like my adoptive father. I.e., I bring glory to my father. All of that flows through salvation. It's made possible through salvation. And worship is that natural response to the work of God and salvation. You see it in a handout. Jesus was sent by the Father to seek and save for the purpose of producing worshiping people. We saw that in John 4. He he has come to seek and save and to make worshipers of our great God. And and, and I think that's why not only adoption, I think that's why marriage is is used as an illustration. Marriage is not a one-time event. Marriage is vow. Look, I took a vow on June twenty eighth 2003. I married Karen. Did it stop there? No. You spend the rest of your life living in accordance to what? The vow that you made, Chris, on June 28th. Yeah, June 28th, 2003. Whoa, get, get that right. Rewind the tape. 6283, that's it. 6283, whatever that is. I just remember those numbers. But listen, listen. Because of that, because of that commitment, listen, all of our, both of our lives irrevocably changed. Everything about our lives, no more individual Chris, no more single Chris. Everything that I do as, a mar- as married Chris impacts Karen. Everything Karen does impacts me. The two become one flesh. Literally, there was a dying, a dying to Chris Basham. Old self died, there's a new creation. Chris and Karen Basham. For the rest of my life, it's no more I. It's We. it's so much more than a one time deal. And we've made sal- unfortunately, we've made salvation that way. Again, and even even in, even in marriage, listen, if I said, why'd you get married? and you said so someone could serve me the rest of my life, you're gonna have problems, buddy. Again, certainly there are benefits to marriage. But, but it's not primarily about that. It's about me serving another person. It's about me glorifying God. It's about me being joined and doing life with another individual. The, relate, the point I'm making is the relationship is not is, yeah, the relationship is the point, not the blessings. The blessings, listen, the blessing of marriage the flow when the relationship is central. Agreed? When, when you make the relationship central, it's funny how those blessings come. But if you try to seek out just the blessings, what happens? The relationship suffers. The relationship is primary. It's not the blessings. They come. But the relationship is the point. And you see there in handout, what God is doing in salvation is transforming sinners into worshipers. Please, Please grasp that. You and I are not central. God is transforming. He is restoring the worship of the one true God through His people whom He created to do that in any way in the beginning. That's what we are intended to do. To be glory representations. To be image bearers. Again that's again that's why salvation salvation is we I mean sin rather sin is me choosing to live according to my own wisdom according to my own glory and to my own glory and in doing so I fall short of the glory of God I miss the mark of that which I was intended and created and purposed to do and that is to bring glory to God And all the blessings, all the blessings that we receive from, uh, from salvation are ultimately rooted in the supreme purpose of you and I worshiping, delighting, bringing glory, bringing honor to God. It's delighting, it's being satisfied in God. And even in evangelism, I think about Romans 1.5, Paul writes, we preach obedience to, of faith among the Gentiles for His name sake. Notice he didn't say we do that for their salvation. Not we do that so that they can get all these blessings. Why does Paul preach the gospel? Ultimately for God's name's sake. That God would be glorified in saving and redeeming sinners. Again, 3 John 7 says missionaries were sent out to proclaim the gospel for the sake of the name. Whose glory? God's glory. Listen to Isaiah 43, 25. I am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. You hear that? I am the one, God says, I'm the one who wipes out your transgressions. Why do I do that? For my sake. For my glory. L- listen to Psalm. Re- read a couple others just real, real quickly. Listen to Psalm uh, twenty five eleven. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. For whose sake? For the Lord's sake. For your glory, God, pardon my iniquity. Psalm 79, verse 9. Help us, O God, of our salvation, for the glory of your name. And deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. You see the purpose? It's for God's glory. Listen to Jeremiah 14, verse 7. Although our iniquities testify against us, O Lord, act for your name's sake. Listen to verses 20 and 21. We know our wickedness, O Lord, the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Do not despise us for your own name's sake. Do do you see the point of your salvation? It's ultimately for God's glory. He didn't do that. He didn't crucify his son. Again, that, this is why, this is why we, we've said this before, but people say the, the cross is this infinite testimony to my worth. That is, that is a lie. You know why it's a lie? Because it's not the whole truth, it's not the greatest truth. The cross is a testimony to God's glory. The cross is a testimony to the audacity and the weight of my sin that God would have to crucify His Son, the perfect spotless Lamb, so that I could be forgiven. That's what the cross is a testimony to. And it skews the cross horribly, as John Piper says, when it becomes about my worth. That God would pay such a high, greater price for me. You know what? You know who was ransomed? God was ransomed. His glory was ransomed. His worth was ransomed. He received the payment for my sin. You see it on your on your handout, our salvation, we got to grasp this because it affects our worship our salvation is first and foremost for god's glory doesn't mean there's not blessings for the believer don't get me wrong here there clearly are blessings but the relationship is primary the glory of god is primary and if we get this through our if we would get this settled in our hearts all of a sudden suffering and hardship and trouble and times of unknown, and even good times, we see them as God using them to conform us to his image, to transform us, to sanctify us into his image. Therefore, they're good. Therefore, we can worship. Why? Because in salvation, in, even in sanctification, he's transforming you into a worshiper. He's transforming you back to that reflection that you were created, that sin had marred. And you see it there on your handout. What I want as a church is for us to understand and adopt the mindset that fuels us to seek the glory of God before we seek to gain anything from Him. Think about this. We said it a couple weeks ago. If I went up to Karen and I say, you know, Karen, I love you, so will you make me a sandwich? How do you think she's going to respond to that? Listen, if we're pursuing God in order to seek something from Him, instead of me saying, Karen, you know what? I love you because you're you. Now go make me a sandwich. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) You see the difference? One, One is loving somebody because of who they are. The other is using love to get something from that person. And ultimately, if I say, Karen, I love you, so will you go make me a sandwich? Who ultimately am I thinking about? Myself. I'm ultimately I'm thinking about myself. Again, this is Matthew six thirty three. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do you see where the, you see the things they come from the relationship? You don't seek them as primary. Everything revolves around the glory of God's kingdom, not the benefits of the kingdom. You don't seek those. You seek the king. And God is seeking true, pure worshipers to show off His glory before a watching world. We have to see us and our salvation this way. We are here for His glory, not our own. His glory is supreme. All of history... All of history will culminate in the praise and worship of God throughout all eternity. And what God is doing in you and I, and our salvation right now, is, is little outposts of that worship that's going to happen for all eternity. Your salvation is primarily about God's glory. But not only that, secondly, our worship of the one true God is founded in our identity as His purchased people, existing to bring glory to God. How we live right now doesn't end with salvation. How we live also goes back to that, not only salvation, but His glory. Listen to 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? for you have been bought with a price therefore here it is glorify God in your body again not bought with a price and set free to do whatever you want to do you've been bought and set free in order to glorify God through everything you do and that is worship that's worship representing the king who bought us in everything, seeking to make much of the king who bought us in everything. Why? Because he bought us. And again, fueled by redemption. It doesn't, and it doesn't end simply with being redeemed. It culminates in our redemption bringing glory to God. And you see it on your handout. We have been saved from something, namely sin and its consequences. You see it on your handout. Saved from something. Okay, We have been redeemed by something, namely the payment of Christ's blood. It was a satisfactory payment. But we have been redeemed to something, namely the, the relationship with God, the freedom to serve our King, the freedom to glorify Him, in all we say and do is His slaves. Again, our worship flows from our identity. affects every area of our lives. This this is why 1 Corinthians 10.31 makes total sense. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Why? Because everything that God does is to His glory. We were created through Him and for Him. His glory. His glory will always be paramount. And again, the word there, we've said it, the word there in 1 Corinthians 6 A temple is naos. It's the word that was used in the Old Testament for the Holy of Holies. Only the priest would go in there. The Holy of Holies. Again, God resides in you. You're the temple. You're the house. This isn't the house. This is a building. Okay, you're the house. And and so oftentimes, you know, Doug and I were kidding about it this morning. When he grew up, people, don't yell in church, don't throw a ball in church, don't run in church, don't do this, don't do that. Listen to me. Why would we care more about what's done in this building than in your building? Why would you care more about me running in this building than what you watch in your own body as a building? Or what you read, what you listen to, who you hang out with, who you associate with? Would you do that in this building? You're the building. I'm the building. We shouldn't care more about these walls or what happens inside these walls than we care about what happens inside your heart. You're the church. I'm the church, believer. Everywhere you go, Christ is in you. That was the whole point he was making in 1 Corinthians 6. They were joining themselves in that day. They were, believers were joining themselves to prostitutes. And he says, do you not realize that you, when you do that, you're joining Christ to that? Why? Because Christ is in you. That, that's why in 1 Peter 1.15 he says, be holy. Why? Because your God is holy. You literally have been declared righteous believer. Do you understand the 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 disdain the the when you involve yourself in unrighteousness? Even in Second Corinthians six fourteen, he says, "Have no association with nonbelievers." In that sense, in a partnership standpoint, why? Because what partnership he says does does darkness and light? Are we to reach the world? Absolutely, we reach the world. But we don't join them. We don't partake in the sin. Why? Because we're holy. You you have been bought for the purpose of glorifying God. Everything you do is to be holy. Everything you do, everything that we do, believers, is to be done in worship. Everywhere you go, every word you speak. And you see it on your hand now, true worship, that's true worship. It's living for God's glory in everything that we do. And and I believe this one concept would change our lives, that the thought that we exist for the glory of God. This one principle will guide your life from the youngest of age to the oldest of age. Listen, when you're at home alone on the computer, the glory of God dictates what you look at. When you're watching TV, the glory of God dictates what you watch. Texts, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, Glory of God. You know, it doesn't matter how many likes you get. It doesn't matter what other people think. Are you doing it to the glory of God? Bottom line, that's the rule. Whether you eat, drink, or text, or Snapchat, or Instagram, or Facebook, or whatever else is out there, do it to the glory of God. That's the rule. The music you listen to, glory of God. Listen, what you wear or what you don't wear, glory of God. Not about being cool, not about what the boys think or the girls think or all this other stuff, well, how does it make this part of my body look or whatever. Is God glorified? Your words, your actions, how you work at work, how you take care of your home, how you parent, glory of God. Every moment of every day, glory of God. Practicing the presence of God. You, believer, we are the temple of the living God. God dwells in you. Value, meaning, purpose, it brings immense ramifications to everything we do. And I hope you see how disciplining ourselves to this one truth changes everything, every moment of every moment of our lives can be done in worship. Why? Because we're the holy of holies. As Paul said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Listen, salvation is not just about avoiding hell. It's about bringing glory to the one whom we were designed to bring glory to. And it all goes back to our redemption. We have been redeemed, set free, so that we can worship God rightly. Not so we can serve ourselves and our agenda and then miss hell. You see it on your handout there. Living to the glory of God alone in everything we do is the only heartfelt and appropriate response to redemption. Salvation is God transforming the false worshiper into the true worshiper. Say that again. Salvation is transforming the false worshiper into the true worshiper. Again, letting our lives, allowing, fueling our lives to be what they were meant to be. Worship of our creator and God and king. We have been redeemed to make much of our king. To live for the glory of our king. From the least thing we do to the greatest. Don't just say, oh, it's just this or it's just that. It's not just that. If it's an act of worship to the glory of God, it is a big deal. He is redeeming every, every aspect of our lives. From the least to the greatest, to the most private, to the public, most public. Every single aspect of our lives. Not, not. well, I'm going to keep this one little part, or, or I'm going to keep these ten minutes. No, no, every single part of our lives is to be to the glory of God. And it can be. Why? Because Christ lives in you. You're His. You've been bought with a price. And, and lastly, that speaks to our, our corporate worship. Number three, we gather regularly to encourage one another to hold fast to this. To remember our redemption, our forgiveness, to spur one or on to live to the glory of the King Jesus. I, I hope that, I hope that you're starting to see that this, this brings profound meaning to even our gatherings. When, when you and I gather here, look around this room, we're look around this room. You ought to be encouraged at the work that God is doing in people's lives. You're not alone. All throughout this area, God is redeeming people. He's sanctifying people. And and this is one small outpost of what God is doing all over this city, and that's a small outpost of what God is doing all over this state, and what God is doing all over the United States, and what God is doing in every other country all over the world. You realize believers are worshiping the one true God corporately all over the world today. What's the point? To, To show that Christ is preeminent. What we're doing here is we are declaring that Christ is preeminent. That he's first place in everything. To remind us of this, to spur us on. All throughout scripture you see pictures of God assembling his people. Why? To declare great praises of his name. And it's the pattern of God's people to assemble. Even the word church, ecclesia, it literally means an assembly or a gathered group of people. And you see it on your handout, the church is the assembly. It's the gathering of God's people to celebrate God's glory. Listen to Hebrews 12, 18, just the the significance of what we're doing here. Hebrews twelve eighteen. For you have not come to a mountain that be, can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to a blast of the trumpet and the sound of words, for they could not bear the command. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the myriads of angels, to the general assembly, and to the church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God. Excuse me, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. L- listen to what he's saying. When church, when you assemble, you are joining a heavenly assembly of throngs of angels and believers and heavenly hosts throughout all the time all the saints who are worshiping their great God. You're a part of that. For all of eternity you're going to be a part of that, believer. And God in His grace is allowing us to do that right here in Odessa, right now, throughout everything we do, but especially when we're gathered as an outpost, as a picture of what eternity will look like. That we can praise Him. And you see there on your handout, what it means to be the church is to have this privilege of assembling as the people of God, together to worship, to bring glory together. Don't don't forsake this privilege. Don't treat this privilege of, oh, we'll just catch them next week. You might not. But not only that, that's not the point. The point is that we would declare the praises of our great king corporately. Do not let what we're doing here be routine, to be rote, to lose to lose sight of the fact that week after week we are doing something that is so awesome, so distinct, so different from everything else that we do all week that, that we have the privilege of corporately declaring the praise of our God. Yes, He is with you individually all week, but there is something profoundly special about coming together corporately And joining together corporately to praise God. You see it all throughout the scriptures. And our gathering, you see it there. It's a testimony to a watching world that God is more important than anything else. And when we skip this, when we treat this as as casual, we're in danger of telling the world that other things are more important than what we do here. Other things are more important than us gathering to worship God. As painful as that might be to hear. When we gather and when we worship, we are joining with angels who at this moment are sounding the praise of our God. We're joining with saints throughout all the ages who have gone before us to praise God. We are seeking to give glory to God. Our worship is intended to be an earthly expression of a heavenly reality. That as you see on your handout, we're, we're an outpost. What we do here is an outpost, what we'll do for all eternity. We're showing that Jesus Christ is king. That our hope is in, another, is in a citizenship that is in another land, as Philippians 3.20 says. And there's coming a day under the perfect reign of God where there are no more sin, no more sadness, no more sickness. And we're going to hold fast to our confession until that day. We're going to worship our great God until that day. While we wait for Jesus' perfect reign... God has designed His church on earth to be a picture of what His reign and His kingdom priorities will look like. That's us. It's a picture. We're a picture of what we, we, what we will do for all eternity. Praise our great God. Do not minimize what we're doing here. Don't, don't minimize the privilege Don't forsake the blessings, not only your own, but others, by missing the relationship. Let our lives, I hope in this series we've caught a glimpse of what true worship is. It's not relegated to a specific time. It's not relegated to a specific place. It's not simply while we're singing. It is all of life, every moment of every day making much of our king, all fueled, all fueled by our redemption. All fueled by a heart that says, I want to make much of my king. All fueled by a deep satisfaction in our king.